Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Clemson are your defending national champions. We're three weeks away from kickoff Georgia Tech, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick. Very excited tonight to be joined by two Shake in the Southland writers um, and good friends of the show. Uh, we are here to talk about the upcoming season and mostly through the lens of the college football playoff, looking ahead to the teams that could contend uh, for the title this year with Clemson. Joined tonight by senior writer at STS, Ryan Cantor, and friend of the show and fellow writer at STS, Tom Dionora. Fellas, how are we doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing great. Appreciate you having us on. No doubt. Um, not sure I've ever been more excited for a season to start, guys. Um, certainly after the, the loss to Alabama in 2015, it was raring to go for that season. But um, just knowing what we have coming back for Clemson this year, this one actually feels like even more anticipation not sure about you yeah I think I after a championship victory uh there's usually a little less anxiousness for the next year and I was I was feeling that until SEC media days in Alabama um kind of was talking about not being focused and this and that excuse and and that just really got me pumped up so I'm glad we're, we're finally nearing football season yeah, I would agree. Uh, the feeling kind of came back in recent weeks with the whole oh, Alabama, like they didn't prepare or they were fatigued from the SEC schedule. I mean, you mentioned 2015. I feel like going into that year, it was just all anxiety because we hadn't, Clemson hadn't won a championship yet, at least my lifetime. And it was just, that season was just full of pressure and just trying not to slip up. And you could see that in the way the team played that year. Whereas coming off a dominant, undefeated season and obviously a dominant championship game playoff, um, it feels like there's less pressure and more excitement just with the talent that's returning. Um, but now uh, the competitive fire has been stoked a bit in the last couple of weeks for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so been consuming as much Clemson content as possible. And it's kind of funny, this show we're about to do here, really excited to have you guys on. This is really more about the would-be or could-be opponents of Clemson. Um, we... We'll certainly touch on the team coming through this year, and I'll kind of break down the format of what we'll be talking about here in a moment. But um, definitely excited to, as we get into the potential matchups, um, have you guys you know lay out your theories or expectations for this Clemson team through the lens of you know opposing teams that we would be likely to face um, either in I guess this year the games are back to the Phoenix and Atlanta for the semis, and then the final will be played in New Orleans. Um, at the at the Superdome. So um, why don't we get into it uh, very quickly here? We're looking at this as what what teams around the country this year like stand a chance at making college football playoff, and really we whittled that down. In addition to Clemson, uh, to six teams nationally that have a shot to get into the the Final Four. Um, Tom Ryan and I also took a look at some dark horses, some teams that, while flawed in a lot of ways and are very unlikely to make the playoff do have a shot are going to be interesting and have potentially a, you know, a, a fairly 
well-trotted path to get to the playoff. Um, so we'll definitely touch on those three teams as well. Um, but really what we want to do is whittle down those sort of six other contenders into teams that you know, we really do feel seeing the best chance of making it into the playoff and then how they would match up specifically with Clemson. Why don't we start breaking down sort of the teams that are would-be contenders here. Uh, we have Alabama. Believe it or not, they're looking good again. Uh, also, Georgia. They bring a lot of talent back uh, as well as have continued to tear up the recruiting trail. So Georgia is definitely in the mix this year. A um, couple of Big Ten teams next, Michigan and Ohio State. I think uh, you could possibly make the case for one or two other Big Ten teams, but these are the ones that really stand the best chance um, based on what they are bringing back. And then two other teams, Washington out west and Oklahoma from the Big 12. Really, this is the set of teams that we think stand a, a legitimate chance to get back to the playoff. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on our dark horses in a minute. Three teams that, we, that are very highly rated coming in that are getting a lot of chatter we're not going to touch on today are the LSU Tigers, Penn State, and the Florida Gators. Uh, but the dark horses, just to round out our list, uh, we've got Texas, Oregon, and the Utah Utes. Interesting addition to the list. Um, so a couple more Pac-12 teams um, just to talk through. I think that, that really indicates how wide open that league is this year with USC once again being down. Um, and why don't we start with the Big Ten, actually? I feel like this... Um, it seems like every year it's starting to come down to Ohio State and Michigan. Um, you got upstart teams like Penn State and Wisconsin in recent years, but um, and occasionally Michigan State and Iowa messed around and made the conference championship game. But um, really, right now in 2019, it's it's the battle of these two programs. Uh, so maybe I'll throw it over to you, Ryan. Where are you landing between these two teams? Who do you think stands the best chance to make it through to the playoff this year? So. I know it's a little bit like uh, Virginia and Virginia Tech and that one just never beats the other. And so you, I almost feel silly picking Michigan, but if, if it's ever going to happen, this really seems to be the year. They've lost seven straight and they've lost 14 out of 15. But Ohio State's got a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on, a lot of turnover that we'll, we'll talk about when we get to them. But I'm excited about Michigan's offense, um, or I'm maybe not excited, but interested to see if they can really improve. Um, they bring in Josh Gaddis, who is at Alabama, and they say they're going to run a more wide-open spread, which Shea Patterson, who was a transfer from Ole Miss, ran over there, is comfortable running, um, and was almost stifled by a more uh, old-school type of offense. It seems like they're finally um, ready to innovate. And you know Don Brown and that defense is going to be great. They've got some really good players after a place. But um, I think kind of like Brent, Brent Venables, you just sort of trust Don Brown. Um, so I think the defense will be fine. So if their offense can take a step with his new identity, um, I think this is the best opportunity they'll have, not to mention they get Ohio State at home this year. Tom, are you buying in their new offensive identity and Jim Harbaugh's ability to get them over the hump? Uh, it's hard to buy without having seen any empirical evidence to this point. Um, I know Michigan's known to have a strong defense. Uh, everyone's like, I know Ryan, you said, yeah, Don Brown, like, um, you know, you can trust their defense. They gave up 62 to Ohio State last year, so – and they lost some some key guys from that defense. So I don't really buy that their defense is really going to be able to hold up um, against an explosive offensive team with the stakes that high. I know on the Ohio State side, uh, obviously Justin Fields has super high ceiling, but, you know, really not very much an unknown at this point. Um, so, I mean, I definitely see the argument for Michigan of kind of, if not now, when. But that makes me think back to 11 years ago, 2008. 
when Clemson was coming off a near appearance in the conference championship game in 2007 and bringing back J, uh, James Davis and CJ Spiller. And that was the refrain for Clemson then. It was, if not now, when? And what, uh, five, 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 six games of the year, uh, Tommy Bowden fired, and then they hired some guy named uh, Davo Sweeney. Certainly, it's quite possible. I mean, Ohio State out-recruited everyone in that conference. But I would say that if, if it's not going to happen now, I almost don't blame Jim Harbaugh. And I'm looking more at Michigan as a program. Where's that? Because the program struggled for a while. He came there, and he really seemed to fix things maybe it's a Michigan thing and not a Jim Harbaugh thing. He's a pretty darn good coach who coached in Super yeah. Bowls. Yeah, you could be seeing some deep-seated uh, cultural issues there if, if they still can't get the job done with him. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and truly this is, and I, I share your sentiment, that now they finally have an interesting offense. They've kind of been running that team almost like the old three yards in a cloud of dust Big Ten up until this point. So, you know, it's, it's good to, again, I agree with you, it's good to see him innovate you know, kudos to Jim Harbaugh for um, taking a page out of Dabo's book and being humble and, you know, being willing to experiment with a different system. Um, you, I guess you have to kind of, you, got, you have to like see from that angle. Um, I guess the, without breaking down too much between the perspective matchup that could happen with Ohio State Michigan, maybe we can pivot over to the Buckeyes. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of change happening there as well. They actually have it's going to be new OC for Michigan, bringing in a new system against a, a pair of new co-defensive coordinators on the Ohio State side. Um, they also lose a couple of studs up front in Draymond Jones and Nick Bosa. Um, so I think, you know, yes, Ohio State replaces them with a lot of experience and a lot of talent, but um, there could be some turmoil on that side of the field for the Buckeyes, which they actually had a pretty, they, they were on the struggle less a bit last year. They had a, to claw and fight to come back against Maryland. I remember um, certainly they blew out Michigan and then they held on to defeat Washington in the Rose bowl. Uh, but the Buckeyes didn't exactly look playoff worthy a year ago either. No, their defense uh, last year was obviously a big sore spot. Everyone remembers the Purdue game where they got blown out um, that big upset. Then of course the Maryland game, which was an absolute shootout. And frankly, they were very fortunate to win that one. So I could definitely see, um, their defense struggling again this year. Um, but I do think ultimately it just seems like the big 10 is destined to come down to those two teams, maybe a Penn state, but I don't know if I buy that just yet. So in an Ohio state, Michigan matchup for me, um, it's kind of, I can't really trust Michigan to win that matchup until they do, which sounds kind of like circular logic, but kind of is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, just as far as the plaudits for Ohio State, um, Coach Ryan Day has been doing a great job on the recruiting trail. He His best recruit this year, I think, was bringing in Justin Fields as a transfer. Um, there's not a lot of depth behind Justin Fields, though. And if what Kirby Smart and the Georgia coaching staff, if they didn't see fit to groom him or see him develop in their system and kind of cut him loose, and if he really is just kind of a, an average or a bit of a whiff of a quarterback – that's going to be that's going to be it for Ohio State, I think, offensively. Um, J.K. Dobbins is back, but they they saw a lot of their receiving talent turnover, and the majority of their catches from last year, like those guys, won't be on the team. So um, it's not necessarily plug and play for Fields in this offense, like we get with Trevor Lawrence coming back with his weapons on the Clemson side. So um, and they also turned over four of their five offensive line starters. So uh, Fields. 
you know, and again, they're replacing that with studs, but um, he, he may have a, a little bit of growing pains on the Ohio state side. Yeah. I think Ohio state certainly has upside um, specifically with the quarterback position and, and fields, but we almost forget how good Dwayne Haskins was. You know, we talk about Tua and Trevor. Dwayne Haskins had 4,800 passing yards, 50 touchdowns. I mean, he was uh, a Heisman caliber player, um, just happened to be in the same year as Kyler and, uh, and Tua. So um, he was clearly a, a kind of a third. But, I mean, that's a really, really hard, uh, pr- really tough production for any program to replace. Um, and they're doing it with a transfer who has no experience, uh, so to speak. So. Um, right. I think they're, you know, have a pretty, uh, pretty big spread in how good they could be. Well, guys, do we feel like the Big Ten's definitely getting a team into the playoff? I mean, are we, are we, can we eliminate both, or should, do we need to pass one of these teams through? I, I think one of them's likely to to end with zero or one loss and, and likely to get in. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, out of conference, neither team really has too too hard of a grind. Uh, Michigan hosts Notre Dame. That's that's basically it. Um, you know, they, they have a couple of tests on the road, but again, I think they're far more talented than, than those conference foes. Um, so yeah, I'm inclined to, to pencil in likely a big, big 10 team. Um, I, I don't know. I think, you know, with some of the question marks at quarterback for Ohio state, uh, with the defense, with talent turnover, with their offensive line turnover, um, I think I'm probably inclined to pick Michigan to win that game that they also host the game. So, um, that's that's a little bit of an edge in the big house should be a raucous environment so um i'm i'm willing to pencil michigan in and through i've already made my case for michigan i I figured i would be in the minority on that one um i will say they haven't won in the big house against ohio state in quite some time i I know the the losing streak uh includes quite a few games there yeah different circumstances but you're not wrong um and tom you, you steadfast on the buckeyes yeah, you know, for the sake of keeping things interesting, I think I'm still going to stick with the Buckeyes in this matchup because I think it is going to come down to that final game. Um, right. And stay with the Buckeyes for the for for this one. I mean, a lot of question marks, but frankly, you could say that for both teams. So we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, uh, that, that takes us through those two from the Big Ten. Uh, why don't we move west from there to Oklahoma? Um, I know we have Texas as a dark horse, but I feel like the Oklahoma will be the overwhelming choice to come out of the Big 12. Uh, they replaced Kyler Murray with uh, everyone's favorite transfer quarterback from this offseason, Jalen Hurts. Um, it, Jalen Hurts is not Kyler Murray. Uh, d- certainly a mobile quarterback, but does not have the uh, proven arm strength and accuracy that was on display last year by the Heisman winner. Um, Oklahoma is interesting though. They bring in a new defensive coordinator um, who was actually at Ohio state last year and uh, was previously at Washington state. You don't really think of Wazoo as a quality defense, but um, actually saw a lot of improvement in both programs defenses um, in, in his one year. Defense. So uh, where do you guys land on sort of the big 12 debate and mostly with Oklahoma? Do you think that they're uh, a legit playoff contender? Do we think Lincoln Riley is, just the quarterback whisperer and he can get blood from a turnip. Even if that turnip is Jalen hurts his arm, where are you guys on OU? I think they're certainly a legitimate playoff contender. Um, and just, I mean, obviously look at it, Lincoln Riley and with that offense, what they've done producing 
two straight Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um, and a lot of people think that Jalen Hurts will really thrive there. Um, but here's where I come in with maybe, maybe my hottest take that I'm just, um, you know, I'm wary that Oklahoma can have the same kind of dynamic offense with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. I mean, by all accounts, he's a great kid and he's obviously a really good athlete um, and dynamic in the running game, but I've just never been impressed by his passing ability. Um, so I think that Lincoln Riley and that Oklahoma offense and the weapons around him can, can help him. And um, I think he might probably, I think he probably will put up the best numbers of his career from a passing standpoint, but I'm just not sure it's going to be enough to keep Oklahoma on pace offensively where they've been in the past few seasons to make up with what is still a, for what is still a very questionable defense. Um, I mean, bringing in new staff seems like after last year, they can only improve, but in the big 12 and just given how much they've struggled defensively in recent years, um, I do have a lot of questions about them being able to always make up for that with an explosive offense. Yeah. It's going to be interesting actually to see that defense on display uh, early in the season. They will face off out of conference against Houston. I'm not sure where that game is being played. It may actually be one of the kickoff game uh, exhibition uh, style games. Um, Houston will have a high powered offense under Dana Holgerson. He he's there from West Virginia this year for his first year. And they travel out to LA a couple weeks later for UCLA. Um, definitely some tough, tough tests early. I mean, neither of those are up to the caliber of Oklahoma, um, but perhaps tough, tough tests for that defense um, and Alex Grinch. So um, I think you're right. I think that, you know, when you look at S and P plus, they were 84th defensively last year. Bill C's projections this year have them in the mid fifties. So an improvement, but by no means even in the, the upper half of college football. So it's still this, it's still your daddy's OU defense uh, at least of the last decade plus. Uh, now since left. Oklahoma's defense, certainly they're not known to be good, but last year they were particularly bad. And I don't think we would expect them to be that bad again. I, I, I agree with what Tom was saying. I, I like Jalen hurts a lot, but I don't think, he's in the general ballpark of a Kyler Murray. I think it's actually going to be, I think Oklahoma is going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch kind of from a neutral kind of distance to see. Cause if, if Lincoln Riley can turn uh, Jalen hurts into a star passer, man, I think already think he's an offensive genius, but if he could do that, I'm going to be incredibly impressed. Um, but I think their defense will improve. They return nine starters. So I think we'll see a more balanced looking uh, sooner team. Well, I always say when you return starters, they, if they were all bad, is that good? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I mean, naturally, you'd hope to see some improvement. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially really <laughs> young, um, which I think was n- more the case in their back seven, especially in their secondary than their, their front. But yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree with you, Ryan. Basically, what I hear you saying is they're going to be an entertaining watch from afar, but maybe not a team that strikes fear into your heart as a Clemson fan. Yeah. I mean, I remember just the championship game in Tampa uh, being there for that game. And obviously, you know, Alabama scored 31 points in that game, but I just remember, I never felt scared that it was Hertz who was going to beat Clemson. Yeah. He had the run there at the end to put them ahead, but I was never scared of the passing attack from them. Um, And that's in a championship game when obviously I'm, as nervous as I'll possibly be. And I was never worried that we were going to be torched through the air, even 
even the one touchdown he had to OJ Howard, that was on a bust. It wasn't like, you know, a spectacular throw by Hertz. So I think that says a lot about, I guess, what I think of him as a passer, but we'll see what Lincoln Riley can do with him. All right. So are we, are we outside looking in for Oklahoma? So the only thing that, that makes me optimistic about Oklahoma is their schedule. You talked about they get Houston. That, that game's in Norman, Oklahoma. They get uh, FCS South Dakota. They go to UCLA, but they're kind of a 500 team at this point. And then they play nine straight conference games. And I think the Big 12 is decent and that it's so deep. But I don't think there's any team in the Big 12 that you really think is um, is better than, than Oklahoma. So I think they have a shot. Well, is this where we go into dark horse territory? Yeah, why don't we flip it to Texas? We'll keep it Big 12. And Tom, you are our longhorn understudy for this show. So <laughs> please present your case for, for Texas. Well, I do think, um, you know, I maybe mean, West Virginia will be good, but I do think in the Big 12, other than Oklahoma, the team to watch is Texas. Obviously coming off a lot of momentum from last year, the big Sugar Bowl win over Georgia. I don't know how focused Georgia was in that game, but nevertheless, big win for Texas. It's their third season under Tom Herman, so really starting to – get his players in there, get his system in there. Um, and I do think that offensively, Texas, you know, they bring back Sam Ellinger at quarterback. Um, I think in addition to Texas being a dark horse team, he might also be a dark horse Heisman candidate. Last year, he was the first quarterback in Texas history to throw for 25 touchdown passes while also rush, rushing for 15 in the same season. 65% um, completion percentage, only five interceptions. Um he does get back a big weapon at wide receiver in Colin Johnson, um, who really always wows you with the physical abilities, but has actually uh, never put up a thousand yard season. But with the loss of a couple of other other receivers, I think he's really going to be the guy to step up for them. Um, for them, the big thing is, and it's kind of a double edged sword. They have you know that early non conference game against LSU, uh, really tough matchup. Obviously, um, they are at home, so while that could easily, you know, put them behind the eight ball in terms of playoff contention, it's also an opportunity for them. If they win that game, then they're, everybody thinks about them differently. I think they're squarely in the conversation. Um, and and they survive a loss pretty, even if that loss is to Oklahoma, because, you know, they'll get another shot. Exactly. They, they, they could even sustain a loss to Oklahoma in the regular season. As long as, you know, they win their other games, they'll see them again, most likely in the Big 12 championship, just like last year, where it was actually reversed, where they beat them in the regular season and lost in the championship game. Um, so interestingly, they're ranked pretty low in S&P Plus, only 35th, um, kind of belying the hype around them. I know they, they finished ninth in the AP last year with you know, the big finish to the year in that game against Georgia. I do think that they are the second best, te best team in the Big 12, but that the margin is pretty thin with Oklahoma. And... Um, if they catch him right and Oklahoma doesn't, you know, quite have the explosive offense they had last year, I think you could easily see just potentially two, I guess, if they meet up in the championship game, two really tight games between them. Um, and I could easily see Texas being a team that comes out of the Big 12 and potentially potentially represents that conference in the playoff. I'm going to – this isn't that bold of a take. I'm going to predict they lose at Iowa State uh, in November <laughs> and that could derail their season. You, you kind of stole my thunder there. I, I, I'm not high on Texas. I think that their win against Georgia was awesome for them, and it's a program-building win. But uh, seven of their ten wins last year were by single digits. I just don't think they're uh, that that great of a team. I think they're they're good. I think they're the second-best team in a 
deep but not great conference. But honestly, you know, I hope we play Oklahoma or Texas. They have a path. I think it's very reasonable for either one of them. You know, they're one to two swings of games to being in a good spot to make the play. And I think that's one of the most advantageous things that could happen to Clemson. Yeah, I mean, their schedule's not great. Obviously, the LSU game, but again, there was an opportunity for them. But it's really, yeah, to your point, I agree. It's not hard to imagine them losing at Iowa State or even losing at West Virginia. Um, those games could easily trip them up. But I do think that offensively, they have firepower. Um, to get by most, if not all, of these games. Defensively is a big question mark for them. Um, they were kind of middle of the road last season. Um, and this season, um, they have a very young defense. Um, Tom Herman's brought in a lot of um, fast, athletic guys. Their secondary is particularly athletic, but just so inexperienced. So in the high score in Big 12, that could be an issue for them. Um, but um, – I do want to see – I am excited to see them play Oklahoma and see how that plays out. Um, I think that Texas can actually overwhelm Oklahoma with their offense rather than vice versa. Yeah, I, I agree. I was actually just going to make a comment on, on that. I think we almost may see a, a reversing of roles as Texas only returns two starters on defense. But as you mentioned, Sam Ellinger, quarterback, I wonder if they're the offense first slash offense only team of that rivalry for the season compared to Oklahoma bringing back a lot of guys on D. Yeah, I think ultimately to make the call on will either of these teams get into the playoff, I feel like you you mentioned some of Texas's flaws. They certainly, you know, there's there's all the stars aligning. Sam Ellinger, you know, he is a dynamic quarterback, and sometimes that's what, that's all you need in a magical season. You know, beat LSU in a, in a rock fight early and um, gives you some margin for error late. But I sort of feel like on the Oklahoma side, they may run out of gas. They may not look the part. And – being a one loss, you know, somewhat hampered champion of a big 12 in this day and age, in this, this, this climate um, may not get the job done for them. So I'm sort of feeling on the side of, I could be swayed to let Oklahoma in, but um, I'm not expecting them to be in Atlanta or Phoenix come new year's Eve or whatever that game's played. What do you guys think? I think at the end of the day, you know, there's a reason why we're talking about Texas as a dark horse and not in our consensus six teams with a shot. Um, and regarding Oklahoma, um, you know, considering that I think Texas could come out of that conference against them, I, I tend to agree with you that neither of those teams will ultimately get into the playoff um, and the Big 12 will be left out. Yeah, I, if I'm picking one conference to get left out, and again, I think the Big 12 is a pretty solid conference just because it's so deep, but I think the Big 12 is the, is the conference I'd pick to get left out if I was picking today. And just to kind of underscore Thomas' point here, so Kyler Murray had uh, 4,361 passing yards last season. Hurt's best season as far as just total passing yards was back in 2016 um, where he had 2,780. So just a huge gulf obviously very different offenses i i agree this will be his best year ever but that's a huge gulf so i think the offense takes a step back let me ask you guys something i'm kind of bummed kelly bryant didn't go to oklahoma um i think it would have been interesting to see what that type of offensive system would have done with kelly not i think he he's got better arm talent than jalen hurts is basically my point um yeah, I mean, it would have been a fun watch for us Clemson fans to see what Kelly could do in, you know, just a completely, like, um, 
offensive passing inclined system and with a guru and Lincoln Riley, but I've always thought of Kelly Bryant as a slightly worse version of Jalen Hurts. So take yeah. that for what you will. <laughs> He's got more of a deep ball capability. Um, you may be right in other aspects of, uh, of quarterbacking, but yeah, I do think his deep ball um, ability is actually a more underrated part of his game. It's those bread and butter throws for a quarterback, those intermediate routes, those 10 to 15 yard over the middle slant yeah, kind, of, kind of play that, or even just a screen pass. We see him struggle with that. Those are the plays that I think um, he's always kind of been lacking as a passer. Yeah. And, you know, I think he's going to be fun to watch in Missouri. Um, you know, he's replacing Drew Locke. So we know that they could have NFL caliber quarterbacks there now he has to kind of fill that and they've got some interesting games they play south carolina florida and uh, go to georgia so get to see him against you know some quality competition when they go to athens so that'll be interesting great so uh let's pivot all the way west to the pac-12 seem we're gonna need to speed around this one because we have three teams from the pac-12 to cover um our contender there who we expect to get through the pac-12 will be washington huskies we also have dark horses on the list in the oregon ducks and utah utes and let's start with UW. Um, Washington has yet, no matter what, they're going to have a Jake under center. Uh, Jacob Eason, transfer from Georgia, sat a year and looks to be the uh, the guy at quarterback there. Um, UW has finally crept into the blue chip ratio for talent. Uh, it's, it's risen every year under Chris Peterson over the last four years. But um, yeah, they're, they're really starting to reload. And Jacob Eason comes to town. So... Um, Ryan, I know you you've looked into UW a bit here. How legit is UW in your mind as a as a contender? So I think what makes them appealing, um, and one of the reasons we have them on our our list here, is their path is pretty straightforward. They uh, they don't have that tough of an out of conference with their toughest one being at BYU, and then they get Oregon at home, and they don't get Utah until or they get Utah at home instead of having to go on the road, uh, and then they would potentially play them a second time in the conference championship game. So to get those two at home and have a soft non-conference, I think that helps them a lot. Um, but I'm not high on them, I, mainly because of their defense. They only returned two starters on defense. Um, the defense was really good last year. It was number one in the Pac-12 in uh, points per game allowed and yards per game allowed. So I think that they could take a big step back there. Um, their offense was, was fine. Um, and I think some folks think it could get better with Jacob Eason, but that's a huge wild card. Um, they also have to replace Miles Gaskin, uh, a, r- a running back. So, yeah, I just don't think they're – I think the defense takes a step back. They're appealing because of their path. But I don't think they're – I'm not sure if I think they're as good as Oklahoma. Um, they just have a very appealing path. Yeah, you could almost see them – I mean, basically, I view the Pac-12 as with, with other conferences having a one-loss or zero-loss champion – really you need to see the Pac-12 be flawless. And uh, Washington, uh, maybe they there's not really a landmine on their schedule, um, although they always seem to lose one even at home that they shouldn't. But um, I think it will take a, a, a flawless season from them to make it all the way through. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tricky. I, think, I do think they will face tests, even though that those games are at home uh, with Utah and with Oregon. And though those games are back-to-back on their schedule, they do have a bye week in between. I I could I could see them dropping one of those games and uh, that could be it for their playoff hopes. Yeah, even 
like yeah, I know like we don't expect BYU to be any good, but like even a road game like that, you gotta be careful. Um it's like, you know, it's the flip side of having a soft schedule is you have no margin for error if you're Washington. Like if you sustain a loss, like that might be it. That being said, I mean, um Chris Peterson definitely several years into his rebuilding effort there and things are looking good. They they had a couple of hiccups the last two years since going to the playoffs three years ago or the playoff three years ago. Um, so anyway, yeah, the Huskies are, are interesting. Then again, they did play that like nine to three or 10 to six uh, Pac-12 championship game, which was nigh unwatchable. So I'm hoping Jacob Eason infuses that team with a spark and they're at least exciting to watch. Uh, but Miles Gaskin was really fun to watch. Taylor Rapp, their free safety was really fun to watch. And um, those games were pretty tough. So um, I like Pac-12 football and it's actually exciting and it's Pac-12 after dark. They're airing it out or it's a lot of chaos. Um, Washington seems to play a little bit more of, um, I don't want to say a boring brand, but they play a little bit more of like a, um, I don't know, like not, almost a Stanford-esque approach. My buddy Dan's going to hate me for that, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever I have a Washington game on, you know, wait, Pac-12 after dark, um, you know, they always, they tend to disappoint me. I expect to see more chaos, but I guess I got to save that for like the Arizona States of the world. Yeah, um, Arizona teams or Wazoo. Yeah. <laughs> there. Uh, why don't we flip it over to Oregon? Uh, we've mentioned them. They'll play. They'll play Washington. They also uh, play Auburn early on in the year. Um, little similar to the the, um, the Texas approach we spoke about earlier with an out of conference SEC team early. Uh, Ryan, this is your dark pick. So I'll flip it to you. Yeah, and it, and it is analogous with with Texas um, playing LSU. They they get Auburn to start the season. They actually play them in Texas in Arlington. Um, but I think what's in their favor there is that they do play them in Week One, and Auburn's figuring out their quarterback position. So if they could manage a win there, which you know I'm not saying is by any means a slam dunk. It's really a toss up. We saw Washington lose to Auburn last year, so you know this is kind of a toss up game to start the season. But if if they could pull that off. Um, I think they're the best team in the conference. Now their path may not be the best, but I think they're the best team. They return essentially the whole offense. Um, quarterback Justin Herbert kind of surprised everyone. Um, I think I saw draft boards that had him as the top quarterback coming out, and then he decided to stay. That's a huge move. Um, you know, kind of reminds me of Christian Wilkins and those guys for us staying. He's kind of doing that over there. Um, his numbers weren't eye-popping, but he's a, a very good, solid quarterback who has good projectables. Uh, into the NFL um, and he's got all the weapons returning around him. his entire offensive line comes back um, they have to go to Washington as we mentioned they have to play Auburn but I think they're the best the best team in the conference the only the, the only challenge kind of besides the schedule there is they're replacing their defensive coordinator Jim Levitt so um, possible fall off there if they can avoid that they've got they've got seven starters on defense returning then they have a chance to, to really pull away and kind of get back to who they were back when they were playing for national championships. It's really interesting. Um, S and P plus projection only has Oregon as a 36% win probability for that Washington game. Uh, that's kind of a shocking number. 6.3. It's basically a touchdown margin. Um, but yeah, I think defense is never really what you expect out of Oregon. So they, Again, if they're able to get if, – if Herbert takes even one more step forward toward uh, his eventual NFL caliber quarterback status, 
that may be enough for Oregon to break free and return to the top of at least the Pac-12 North. Uh, which brings us to, I guess, our third and final Pac-12 team here, the Utah Utes. Um, I picked them as my dark horse, and really a lot of this has to do with their path. Um, they play in the Pac-12 South, of course, uh, which is just really experiencing its most extended period of being down um, that it's ever had, with USC, UCLA both being pretty incapable, and the Arizona schools stepping up. So you have a, U a Utah team that was pretty moribund coming into the Pac-12 when like five, six years ago, um, coming in now and really being the class of that division. Um, in terms of tailwinds for this year's team, they bring back 75% of their snaps from last year. And this is a really solid, solid team. Um, you might remember that Pac-12 championship game where they looked just incapable of moving the ball at all on offense against Washington. Uh, something a lot of people, even, even I did not realize was they were missing their starting quarterback and running back in that game, uh, which definitely can explain some of the, the lack of offense, offensive production. Um, on the offensive side, they bring in a new OC, Andy Ludwig. He was previously at Vanderbilt, and he had actually coached Vandy to a top 25 offense uh, with, with, with pass-first fundamentals. Um, people are pretty high on Utah's quarterback, gelling well with his new OC in this system. So you might, you might start to see them pair you know, a good passing attack with already a pretty capable running attack. Um, further on the tailwinds for, um, I'm sorry, for Utah, it's just their head coach, Kyle Whittingham. is a very solid head coach. Uh, he, he has, similar to Frank Beamer, has cracked the special teams nut. Uh, they, they tend to be top 10 in special teams. So I just think this is going to be a really well-coached, put-together football team. Um, they don't project that high in S&P+. I, I think they're in the, the upper teens. Uh, but their, their schedule is very kind. Um, really, the toughest test is going to be traveling to Washington in the beginning of November. Uh, but otherwise, they have BYU early. They're at USC, but they should be able to handle that game. By then, USC might might have already fired Clay Helton. We're not sure. Um, so anyway, guys, I'm I'm pretty pro Utah. I definitely think they're going to take the South and give whoever comes out of the North a run in that championship game. Yeah, I mean, last year they gave Washington a run in that game. I mean, I don't blame if you fell asleep during it, but it, it was a pretty close game until that interception at the end. Um, but Utah, Utah, yeah, they're they're a team with Whittingham at head coach. They're they're always fundamentally sound. Um, they're one of those teams that you just feel like they're never going to be out of a game. They're always going to kind of hang around, even if, if if they're not you know ahead by a lot. So I would definitely pick them to come out of the South, but I'd hesitate to pick them to win over Washington or Oregon. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with Tom here. I, I like their path. I love their identity of being the almost like the new Stanford, the, the tough, hard-nosed physical team uh, in the Pac-12. Um, but I think Oregon, you know, they, they've got more talent. They've, they've out-recruited them. Their path is a little harder, but I think they're the better team. And then it's pretty tough to bet against Chris Peterson. I, I love Kyle um, Whittingham, but, but Chris Peterson's an elite coach. So um, I, I do like Utah to win the South. I know they're a popular pick to win the whole thing. I think that's largely about path rather than being the best team. Um, do think they have a shot. I think they have to go undefeated though, which makes it tough to make the playoff. Yeah. That is right. Exactly. And I, I think Huntley, yes, under a new Tyler Huntley, their quarterback, yes, under a new offensive coordinator, um, may, re, may be rejuvenated, but I just think he against elite defenses and I think UW will get there. They have kind of a new identity there, but, um, 
I, yeah, I think I think they'll have his number. Uh, so that that sort of takes us through the Pac-12. I think we're it's it's possibly Oregon in upset fashion, breaking through as a dark horse. You either way, they're likely going to need to be undefeated to crack the playoff field. I think we're in consensus in eliminating the Pac-12 as well. Um, we, we okay doing that, guys? Despite talking about three teams from the Pac-12, I am okay eliminating them from the conversation entirely for playoff. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Oregon. I think they have a good shot, but uh, they probably wouldn't be – they're not one of the top four teams. They're probably the fifth or sixth team I'd put in the playoff if I was predicting uh, odds right now. So um, if we're narrowing down to, to three in Clemson or, or four overall, then, yeah, I, I agree as well. Great. Well, that then brings us to the last of the contenders um, from the SEC. We've got Georgia in the East, Alabama in the West. Um, no shock to anybody. Uh, why don't we start with Alabama? Um, uh, Tom, I'm going to look in your direction here. Clemson fans very familiar with this team. We played them four years in a row. Um, we can basically pencil Alabama in, but can you make any type of case for why this team won't be that won't make it through to the playoff. What do you think would would go wrong or could go wrong to prevent Alabama from making it through? Uh, for me, that's really hard to say other than an injury, you know, which is always a wild card for any team. But I don't see um, how they don't get in. Um, I mean, even the obviously the other SEC team, which we'll talk about here in a minute, is Georgia. But, you know, they don't play each other in the regular season. So that'd be... Um, most likely um, an SEC championship um, meetup yeah. for them. So, I mean, as much as it pains me to say, it's also possible we see two SEC teams right there in the mix for a playoff berth there at the end. So, for me, there's no reason to write off Alabama as a playoff team unless something like, you know, a catastrophic injury hits them. Yeah, I think the only way it really is – and they'll be perfect out of conference. They'll they're like they're very largely favored in all of their games in conference as well. You know, you lose an upset fashion to LSU. LSU wins the West, and Alabama's not able to salvage what they did two years ago um, and get in without the conference championship. That's basically it. Is like a a, a fluke loss in the in the division. Yeah, um, which, which I don't see happening without yeah. you know, someone getting hurt. Exactly. Not to get too much into what elements their team would need to break down to see that happen again. So I'll see you because I think we'll we'll get in a, a bit more to the matchup against Clemson um, later on in the show. But I think it's safe to just graduate Alabama into the playoff for the I guess this will be the sixth straight year, right? Yeah, I don't think they ever missed it since uh, the playoff started, right? <laughs> so Exactly. Ryan, any thoughts from you on Alabama's worthiness? Yeah, I mean, I think they're the second most likely team to make the playoffs um, or the cultural playoff aside from Clemson. Uh, I think your points are fair. I will say, you know, they go to Texas A&M. They, they obviously get LSU, and we've seen them lose uh, to Auburn and, and miss, still make the playoff and miss the championship game because of that. And I think that's a possible avenue for – something really interesting with the Pac-12, say an undefeated Utah or a one-loss non-champion Alabama. Those type of debates would be pretty fascinating. I think it's one of the many reasons we love a four-team playoff and the kind of intrigue it brings. Yeah, you do raise a good point with the road game at A&M. I think A&M is a really good team and possibly better than several of the teams we've talked about so far here. Um, but their schedule is 
probably the worst in the country. They play Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. I mean, at Georgia, yeah, that's just a murderer's row. And at Clemson, that's just a murderer's row of a schedule. Um, I think that game could be fun. Uh, them hosting Alabama um, could be a sneaky tough game for Alabama. Um, if we tune into that one, but in the end, like you have to pick Alabama to ultimately come out on top in that one. Yep, I mean, I, I agree. Iron Bowl aside, which is actually their lowest win probability on the season at 73%, uh, the next most likely loss would be at Mississippi State, uh, which is comes a week after LSU. Um, A&M is right up there. It's 79% win probability. Um, so that those are just crazy high numbers considering these are like top 15 teams, but um, that's Alabama. So they'll likely, we know them, they'll likely be losing going into the fourth quarter and one to two of those games and ultimately pull it out um and yeah it's just gonna be standard uh, but yeah we'll, we'll definitely get into them a little bit more later when we look through the lens of a matchup against clemson um, guys why don't we flip over to georgia uh, bulldogs do replace um obviously their backup quarterback and justin Fields transferred out but jake Fromm is back and in full effect they also have deandre swift so really you should expect their offense, um, despite losing a couple of receiving options, to pick right back up where they left off. I think defense is really where there's the the big question marks there. Um, any, I guess, Ryan, knowing that you spent a good amount of time researching Georgia here, uh, what it, I'll ask that same question. Like, What do you think prevents Georgia from ultimately making its case as a worthy either SEC champion or, or one-loss team that didn't win the, win the championship? Yeah, well, you know, we talk about this on the positive a lot for Clemson is the coaching continuity, and, and that's something they don't have this year. So offensive coordinator Jim Chaney took the job at Tennessee. Mel Tucker is now the head coach. At, uh, the, Mel Tucker, the defensive coordinator, is now the head coach at Colorado. So a lot of change, and and that, that can cause issues. Um, you know, they've, they've got, uh, you know, three games, and then they host Notre Dame, so they have to have all their stuff together. Uh, in time for that game, you know, we don't have Notre Dame on this list because they go to Georgia and to Michigan, but that's a that's a good team uh, and certainly a, a very reasonable loss. Um, I think this is certainly not their last chance as the way they're recruiting, but I think this is maybe the best chance they'll have in a while so long as Alabama and Clemson are this good. Jake Fromm and uh, DeAndre Swift, their star quarterback and running back, return for their junior seasons, presumably their last seasons. Um, so, you know, they're, they're likely gone next year. This is kind of their shot. Um, I, think that, I think they have a big year here. Uh, I just don't know if a loss to Alabama keeps them out. If you slip up one other time, then, then you probably deserve to be left out. Yeah, just like last year. Yep. Yeah, it basically goes back to, like, are they among the top four best teams? And you, Tom, you made the point kind of as we were chatting before the show, like, you have to earn it. And a two loss team regular season, that's not earning it. And you can't expect to get in when you've got zero and one loss other teams um, when there's four spots only. And it's, that's just the reality. So, yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to play the games, right? If it's just going to be the four best teams based on appearance, then like, I don't know why, why do we have the matchups? You know what I mean? Right. And like Georgia's, if they lose to Notre Dame and Alabama, and the, the, those are your two best opponents. Like you, you didn't play or you didn't beat, the, the quality teams on your schedule, like what makes you think you're among the best four then? So exactly. Yeah. They had their shot at Alabama. I mean, obviously it's a heartbreaking loss for them just like the year before in the championship game, 
uh, the national championship game. But at the end, like, yeah, that was their playoff game. That was their shot. They didn't win. You move on. Right, exactly. So um, based on who we've, who we've sort of eliminated, and it, it is tough to sit here and predict, you know, that, that type of an outcome to SEC teams getting in. Uh, but I, I just don't see two losses on Georgia's schedule, even with uh, the championship game. Uh, it would definitely take a slip up. And again, Ryan, to your point, maybe there's some coaching continuity question marks potentially early with that Notre Dame game coming in uh, that could just trip up their season. But um, I'm not, I'm not predicting that, I guess. I'm expecting them to kind of make it through unscathed. What's tough, though, is then you would think they're probably automatically penciled in as a non-champion kind of playoff playoff team. And I'm not sure how that sits either. But, but again, if they've demonstrated being a top-four team, I guess then they're worthy. Well, we all remember what happened when a non-champion Ohio State got into the playoff in uh, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree with your whole conversation about I, I almost don't care who the four best teams are. I care about the four teams that earned an entrance to the playoff, and that's what Georgia, despite potentially being one of the four best teams, they, they didn't earn it last year. They're going to have to earn it this year. Um, I think their path is tough because you've got a big roadblock in your conference championship game. Um, you know, I know they take a lot of conference pride, but I'd much rather be playing Pittsburgh and make the playoff um, and win the playoff rather than lose to Alabama and be left out. So I think that's the challenge there. But I think they're probably around the fourth or fifth most likely team to make the playoff. So for the sake of conversation, I'd, I'd probably put them into that next uh, that next grouping. Got it. Well, uh, according to my math and my calculation, then we're feeling good about Clemson, obviously, Alabama, Michigan. Are we ready to go Georgia then for our kind of let's, let's dig into these matchups? Um, or do we think – we should add another team to discuss um, on the off chance that Georgia doesn't make it. Yeah, I think Georgia and Ohio State, and, and that's kind of that group of five there. And then af- after that, you're, you're kind of looking at um, Oregon, Washington, Utah, and in the, in the, in the Big 12 is kind of, the, I think, a, kind of a separate tier almost. Um, do you guys agree with that? I would agree. Yeah, I, it's, it's almost for the discussion we had earlier, like a toss up Michigan, Ohio State. So Ohio State might be, you know, that fifth team that could be in the discussion. Um, yeah, but for me, the Pac-12 is kind of separate, lower tier. Yeah, that's fair. So let's let's go with what we said before. Sorry, Tom, we're going to eliminate the Buckeyes here. Uh, and, <laughs> you don't have to you apologize know. to me for eliminating the Buckeyes. I, it's, it's quite all right. <laughs> we're still waiting for the Big Ten to score a point in the playoff. So that's right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll do that. Um, but yeah, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna see these teams here and talk through like the actual draw of the tournament of the final four, I think really what would be worthwhile. What I'm interested in is breaking down what the matchup against Clemson can look like for Alabama, for Georgia and for Michigan this year. Um, and I know we can put a little bit of the, the work we've done looking into these teams um, into this discussion. Uh, but really it's not about, I mean, ultimately we're, we can pick a champion if we want, but it's looking ahead at who we're likely to face and um, how that, how we project that matchup to go. Um, why don't we go in I want to split Alabama and Georgia up just to kind of separate the SEC opponents here. So uh, why don't we start with Georgia and to kind of tee us off here, Ryan, I might look to you with this question. Um, Knowing what you do about what Clemson's trying to replace on the defensive side, what about Georgia's offense really gives you pause or fear about that matchup um, for Clemson specifically? 
Yeah, so they were pretty uh, run-heavy last year, and they bring back DeAndre Swift. They've done an awesome job recruiting the offensive line. And obviously, um, I think Clemson fans rightfully feel good about the secondary. Our defense has sort of flipped, and now we feel great about our back half. And, you know, we're going to have some growing pains, you know, relatively speaking, on the defensive line and even to some extent the linebackers. I think what DeAndre Swift might be able to do against our front four and front seven, uh, I think that's an advantageous matchup for them. Yeah, I've, I've said it on even a couple of Quacking Tiger interviews we had in the, in the early spring and um, my most recent show with co-hosts on the podcast here. I think our, our run defense is really the big question mark for me. Um, what you saw between the 10-yard lines um, against Alabama is something that I don't know that we will necessarily can, necessarily can expect to, to improve early on this season. We were without Dexter Lawrence in that game, but he also will not be suiting up for Clemson this year. Um, so there's still, you know, some question marks, particularly with the linebacking group. Um, I, I know everyone's very high on Jamie Salsky and um, Chad Smith has proven to be, a, a, you know, a true blue Clemson Tiger um, in his time on the team. But yeah, I agree that, that that can, that's definitely a question mark. And then Georgia does have the elite quarterback. I almost view that as table stakes for even making the playoff, let alone um, being able to challenge a team like Clemson. So They'll, they attack you in multiple ways. I feel like, you know, again, I trust Brent Venables to, uh, by the time the playoff rolls around, to have figured out rotations, depth. You know, if, if really the run is what we need to take away to beat Georgia, I have the faith that he can do that. But um, that that does give me pause and concern here. And I would say Georgia's probably the best running team out of this, this quartet, um, Clemson notwithstanding. I'd probably still put Clemson's running game above Georgia. I I agree, and and one other point I'll make before I before I let you and Tom take this about Georgia's is Jake Fromm. You mentioned elite quarterback. It's odd because he's he's kind of talked about like a game manager, and and I think that's fairly accurate. He had um, one thousand two hundred seventeen fewer passing yards than Tua, and despite Trevor not starting from the beginning of the season, he had five hundred thirty one fewer yards uh, passing than Trevor but he had a 67% completion percentage and a 30 to six TD to INT ratio. So he's been really efficient. I think their new OC is going to open it up a little bit more late, let them take some more shots downfield. If he could grow into that, they could be a lot more dangerous. And as we saw when we switched from Bryant to Lawrence at quarterback, that can open up the running game, make it even more dangerous. So I think that's the new coaching and the new aspect there is where they have their volatility but if they can kind of hit on that uh, and be more aggressive offensively, then I think they, they can be awfully dangerous. They could actually take that next step. Agree. Um, I mean, Georgia is a bit of a scary matchup um, with respect to their offense um, against Clemson to the, for the points that Ryan mentioned, I think, look, like, we talk about Clemson as wide receiver U. It, you could easily sit, call it, you know, DLU, defensive line U. But obviously, all the turnover from last year, they they have some talented players there to fill in the gaps. But um, it is a big question mark, and um, yeah, that is a worry with Georgia's um, running strengths against Clemson. And I do think Fromm is a quarterback who has continued to grow, um, and they could be dangerous. Um, either way, I do think Clemson's secondary might be one of the better strengths of the team that we, at least we, that we've seen um, in comparison to the past few years. But in a matchup against Georgia, if they're able to get their running game going, um, that leaves that secondary susceptible because we know from, you know, has the ability 
to be teams through the air as well. Guys, why don't we flip over to Georgia on the defensive side of the ball? And I actually feel like this is where this is in the passing game, Georgia's pass defense. I actually feel like this is the most if you want to give the sort of Georgia Georgia running game against Clemson run D, if you want to give the edge to Georgia there, I think this advantage for Clemson is actually twice as profound. Um, so sort of I would put even more emphasis on this matchup going in the favor of the Tigers. Um, Georgia not only has turnover in the secondary, um, but they actually don't have a lot of experience depth there. Um, that with a combination of that and just what Clemson brings back and Trevor Lawrence's skill, I think that in my mind that is the matchup, and that's why I, I would pick Clemson against Georgia um, is really in the the passing game. Um, any any thoughts on any other aspect of the Georgia defense, Ryan? I, I know they've had, they've continued to reload and this is really where the talent has borne out under Kirby smart, you know, tremendous defensive minded coach. Um, but I, I still think you look at our offense and I, I like our chances. Yeah. So their defense will have six, five-star players on it and they bring in um, the number one Juco player, Jermaine Johnson from uh, last chance use uh, independence community college. So, I mean, their defense is going to be really talented. They returned seven starters. It's not like it's completely turning over. Um, but they do lose DeAndre Baker, the great cornerback who's now on the New York Giants. But moreover, wouldn't you take Clemson's passing offense over any passing defense in the country? Isn't that really more the point here? Uh, I would. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but especially Georgia's. Yeah, I don't know that I would say especially Georgia's. I, I think your point is well-founded, but I think I would – regardless of who you're talking about, I mean, with our receivers, then I think what we all would probably agree is the best quarterback in the country. I mean, it's going to be an unfair matchup against anyone. So it's just a matter of how much it gets exploited more than anything else. Yeah. And I think the Georgia ability to generate a pass rush as well has taken a hit from some of the turnover they have up front. So um, I think just holistically the, the passing game for Georgia is going to be um, put in conflict uh, passing pass defense, I should say. Um, but yeah, I, and and really, it was it's really funny though that it was actually Jalen Hurts that led that comeback against Georgia last year. Um, of course, different personnel. They were able to generate a pass rush against Tua. Um, he was per- potentially hobbled going into that game. Uh, but yeah, it was it's funny how Jalen Hurts was actually the man to uh, come in and, and defeat the Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly a good story. Um, to your point about them not getting good pressure, they only had 24 sacks all of last year. Clemson had over 50. Their sacks per game uh, for Georgia was 100th nationally. So that's got to improve. And um, I think that's where their JUCO transfer, Jermaine Johnson, comes in. But, um, you know, that's part of the passing defense. It's not just the secondary, to your point. Yeah. And, uh, again, you look at what we hope to be a stout Clemson front as well. Certainly one of our deepest and most experienced lines. Uh, should keep TL upright. So – uh, so where would you guys i'm sure we could look this up but where would you guys set the the spread or the line for this game clemson versus georgia are you thinking clemson is a four-point favorite touchdown coin flip? Where, where we where we playing this game yeah let's call this one let's say yeah i guess if georgia's getting in i mean this is where we go back to seeding we're probably the one seed there the four seed so you'd probably think this is in atlanta Ooh, that's, that's that's a real disadvantage for the one seed, huh? Jeez. <laughs> um, it's kind of yeah, out that way. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. The sugar bowl, Alabama, but, um, I don't know, for me, um, if that's the, I was going to say four or five, but if th- in that case, I'd say call it three, three and a half. Um, okay. yeah. Yeah. So if they're, you know, for playing in week one in Atlanta, I'm, I'm more, more optimistic, but if they've made it to the playoff, they've kind of proven that they are able to attack downfield and the situation with the coordinators has already panned out, which makes them all the more dangerous. So we're kind of assuming that at which point, you know, first of all, it'd be really interesting to see what Dabo would do if he would choose to go out West and kind of disadvantage the fans versus playing nearby, but disadvantaging the team. That'd be kind of an interesting situation, but I'm uh, not sure you know, even I'm, Ryan, I'm not sure it falls on the coach to decide. Actually. I think it's the committee that, that, that chooses the matchup. And um, the reason we, I forget which season it was, but um, they didn't want to advantage Oklahoma uh they sent us to the cotton bowl yeah exactly so uh because we were the one seed right so um anyway i i don't think i think the committee decides but either way it would be cool gamesmanship uh if the coach decided i just think Dabo would have picked the rose bowl personally if given yeah that yeah that's that's fair that's fair um yeah, right. so so if it's in Atlanta, I would say no more than three points, maybe even less, maybe two points. But if it was out west, then then three or four. I I think at that point they've proven they're really good. You know they're they've got the recruited talent. So I think it's it's awfully close. This is also, of course, assuming Clemson's thirteen and zero at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, do... Sorry, Tom. I think for me, for Georgia to finally like hit that next level, it's like. Uh, equated to a video game, they need to beat the final boss. And for them, the final boss is Alabama. If they've done that leading into the playoff, who knows what that does for the psyche of that team and the program and everything else. And I don't know that that necessarily would dictate anything in the matchup with Clemson, but you know, you never know. It could, it could, it could give them the right level of, you know, kind of momentum to go into that game. Um, if not, and they kind of limp their way in, <clears throat> I, I have to also question coaching and sort of mentality of their team. And that's why that's maybe another kind of intangible of that game against the mat in the matchup against us. And um, I would certainly take the, take the spread in Clemson's favor if it was that close. Yeah. I was going to say like, you know, it could be one of two scenarios that could be Clemson playing Georgia in the playoff with Georgia coming off a big sec win over Alabama, but they could per our discussion just as easily get in sustaining their one loss to Alabama in that game. Um, so for me, uh, you know, Nick, kind of getting back to what you said before, as many qualms I have about Georgia's offense against, you know, a less experienced, less proven uh, Clemson front, um, I'm supremely confident in Clemson's ability offensively to um, score, not at will, but um, with regularity. <laughs> yeah, uh, it would definitely be be a great clash i think it would be one of the most exciting football games we've had in a while so uh i would welcome that matchup i think also we would um yeah just i'm sure georgia fans have been chattering like we just want to crack at clemson you haven't played us you know we heard them going into the playoff last year when we whooped notre dame that they were the more deserving team etc etc be great to silence the doubters and the haters from down the road yeah that's a real uh high upside but also um <laughs> downside kind of game especially uh living in atlanta working with so many georgia folks i had 
I'd love to beat them, but man, the thought of losing to them is almost worse. It's almost uh, not quite a can't-win situation because you know we can win and it would be awesome. But uh, I think the the pain and annoyance of losing would uh, that's the team I would least like to lose to of any team in the country um, is Georgia. Yeah, Ryan and I have one friend in particular who would be completely insufferable for probably an entire calendar year. But frankly, I wouldn't blame him. But that would be very hard uh, to deal with. That <laughs> that might make it easier for me, actually. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah that would be yeah probably the most annoying opponent to lose to just for the aftermath um for sure <laughs> all right well uh let's wrap let's wrap up georgia there why don't we move over to michigan next we can save the crimson tide for last um as we should so michigan uh they've found their way they finally vanquished ohio state they beat i don't know who do you guys think in the big 10 big 10 west Nebraska, Iowa, Northwestern. Northwestern. Yeah, I mean it's totally wide open. Uh, let's, let's, let's make it fun. Go Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, I love to. I love for it to be Northwestern again with Hunter Johnson. That would be that'd be an amazing matchup. I think. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he left on very good terms with the team, and vice versa. I, th- I felt like it was a very amicable break. Um, yeah. So you know, no no ill will there with with Hujo, but um, anyway. I'm sorry. I, I imply that they would win that game and we would play them in the playoff. Um, it'd be really funny if that did happen, but <laughs> not, not predicting that. Um, nor will he transfer midseason to to Michigan. So we would more so likely be facing off with Shea Patterson, um, quarterback under Josh Gaddis's rejuvenated offense at Michigan. Uh, we put a long tail on this kite earlier, talking through the Ohio State Michigan matchup. Um, but as far as facing the Tigers. I think really, we, we again, it's easy to speak in just kind of platitudes about Don Brown and how he always brings a stout defense to bear. Um, but against this Clemson offense, it's kind of going to be, again, a little bit of a broken record here. But do we really think that Michigan is capable of slowing down and stopping a Trevor Lawrence-led offense um, or a Travis Etienne ground and pound attack? Um, I, I don't know. I sort of question that. Um, yeah across the board, but you know, again, Don Brown, I guess gives you as good a chance as any um, of figuring that out. He, he was a defense coordinator at Boston college and certainly different personnel from the Clemson side, but they always, they always gave us a tough time um, except for that one year where they were the number one defense in the country. And I think we blew them out. We were like the lone game to lone team to score more than 20 points on them. His last year as defense coordinator. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I always felt like a lot of those games against Boston college when they had a stout defense, Clemson would uh, get off to a slow start. First quarter would be kind of rough, but then before you do it, they were off and running, and I could see a matchup with Michigan's defense against Clemson's offense going uh, going the same way. Um, I do think that you know Michigan could make a, some plays early on and get excited, almost like how the Notre Dame game started. If you remember, Clemson started that game pretty slowly as well. Um, but then before long, I think Clemson would eventually pull away from Michigan. I don't see this being – as exciting or as tough a matchup as a Georgia per se. Um, so, Tom question for you. Uh, did Shea Patterson throw more touchdown passes or get sacked more often last year? <laughs> Ooh, put me on the spot. So I'm guessing you want me to say he got sacked more often last year. So sort of a trick question. It was actually touchdowns, but only by one. So he was sacked 21 times. He threw 22 touchdowns. Um, 
that may speak worse of Michigan's offensive line than it does Shea Patterson and his tendency to um, hang in there and take sacks. But I feel like that that isn't likely to take leaps and bounds uh, steps forward this year. And I, I just looked at Xavier Thomas. I think that that'll be his chance to shine and it'll be his coming out party. If he ha- hasn't already had one. Yeah. Um, that, that advantage is Clemson as well. I would agree. Yeah. Um, I think we have a decisive advantage, even offensively against a Michigan's defense, even if it is a slow burn, as I said, but flipping to the other side of the ball. Um, yeah, like Georgia presents some weapons that I think gives Clemson some some reason to be worried. But Michigan, um, yeah, rejuvenated offense and all. And in a scenario where they've made it to this point, maybe they're pretty good. But um, yeah, like maybe they've committed to that tempo offense. And yeah, perhaps that's the approach to try to try to beat Clemson is um, attack attack what we think is limited linebacker depth and. Um, maybe what Josh Gaddis is bringing. He, he, by the way, was a co-OC at Alabama last year and their wide receivers coach. Uh, pretty good wide receiving core at Alabama last year and right. got a lot out of that talent. Michigan's not going to have that level of talent, but you know, maybe he gets them to gel. And again, we saw even that, that talented Alabama receiving core did not expose Clemson last year. Um, and we bring back pretty much our whole secondary. So um Anyway, I feel I feel good about yeah, but that's that's maybe their formula here is yeah. I mean, against um, I think the weak one of the weakest points of Clemson's defense besides just you know the um, inexperience from uh, you know the rejuvenated defensive front um, is their linebacking core just because there's not a lot of depth there. Uh, I always think of tight ends over the years giving Clemson linebackers a bunch of fits. So I guess in this scenario, we can be very thankful that uh, Jake Butt is no longer there. But I feel like Michigan always has a tight end coming in. So that could be something they could exploit. But I do think ultimately that um, their offense uh, wouldn't be enough to overcome, um, which should still be a very solid Clemson defense. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of chime in and, and agree with, with you, Tom. Um, I think – so I picked Michigan, you know, in our previous discussion to win the Big Ten. And I think I think they're, they, their downside might be lower than Ohio State's. But to me, we're talking about them in a playoff, so they worked out. And in that scenario, I'd rather be playing a Michigan's upside versus an Ohio State's upside. You know, they lost their three best uh, – really, really good defensive players and Devin Bush, the linebacker, and Chase Winovich and Rayshon Gary off the defensive line. You look at their offense, you know, I, I like what they're doing and, and their kind of modern modernization. Um, but I don't think you look at their offense and say, ooh, this guy really scares me. And I like Shea Patterson, but I think you look at like Justin Fields, if he pans out and hits his upside, that's really scary. You look at running back J.K. Dobbins of Ohio State, um, that, that, you know, that's scary. I don't, I don't really look up and down Michigan. I, I see a good team. I don't say, oh, man, I can't stop, you know, like Justin Ross. Um, so I think they're going to be good, and I think they're one of my picks to make the playoff. But I think that would be an advantageous matchup for Clemson. I'd rather play them than a Georgia and Ohio State um, or even to some extent in Oklahoma because if Oklahoma made it, that would sort of mean that we were wrong about Jalen Hurts. So um, – I like Michigan to make the playoff, but I would also like to play them in the playoff. So I'll be rooting for them kind of to be right and then to play them. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good way of articulating it. Um, I mean, 
I think Michigan definitely has the lower ceiling than Ohio State, but Ohio State is just there's a lot more variability and volatility in their schedule, which I guess is why at least you guys have chosen Michigan to come out of the Big Ten instead of them. Who would you guys rather, or who do you think pre- presents a tougher matchup for Clemson, Notre Dame 2018 or Michigan 2019? Oh, man. Uh... Well, if we're talking – so I think I think last year's Notre Dame team was really good, and um, I think it almost is a disservice to Clemson when, when folks, including Clemson fans, act like they were no good. It's wrong. They were an undefeated team. They beat Michigan. They were very good. Clemson was – the greatest team of all time. And that's not an exaggeration. They went 15 and 0. they blew out Alabama. They were peaking at the right time. So, you know, if and the game this, was truly, I, I feel like the game was a lot closer than the scoreboard showed. Um, Clemson took extreme advantage of big plays in that game, explosive plays, and they deserve all the credit for doing that. And they earned every single one of the 30 points. Um, they possibly left some in the tank too, but uh, I think Notre Dame also, anyway, I think they were better than three points. I, I agree. And, and this will be my hot take for the, for the podcast is for all the talk about how the Alabama Clemson game was closer than it really looked. I would say that's way more true of the Notre Dame game. They had three scoring opportunities against Clemson came out, came out with three points on those. So um, I think if that game is played over, you know, 10 times, you know, simulated 10 times, I think, that's probably the biggest blowout that we see is the, is the one that actually came to fruition. Yeah. I, I think Oklahoma was the worst team in the playoff seed this past year. Um, and I read some hot takes today that Notre Dame was the second, was the best team Clemson played last year too. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that's not true, but that was a, uh, a good, a good stab from, uh, was it, uh, was it John Simpson who said that? Maybe. Yeah. I'm sure Woody Whitehurst retweeted it. Uh, <laughs> well so. credit to them their defense i thought played a lot better than alabama's defense against clemson to your point i mean it was the big plays right. that did them in but there were clemson had a lot of drives that stalled against them in that game so this is some michigan preview <laughs> that we're going to <laughs> notre dame game but um yeah i i'd really like to play michigan too i think it'd be a really interesting kind of culture clash as well of the, the fan bases and Dabo and harbaugh would sure to be uh, chock full of soundbite goodness in the run-up. So I think just like off the field would be really fun too. Um, and we just keep hearing about Michigan hype. It'd be good for once and for all for them to make it and kind of put up or show up time. So um, be a really tough draw for them, but in their first time into the playoff, but you know, let's see what they're made of. Uh, well, I guess that brings us so probably predicting let's do the spread thing for this game too. Uh, I think that'd be like a 13 point spread personally. Yeah. I, I think this one's much larger than what we're talking about with Georgia. Now, of course it depends, obviously is Clemson a 13 and no one seed Clemson, or did we lose, you know, to we get tripped up against A&M and we're, we're not the one, you know, obviously all that, but um, I'm guessing now. Yeah. I think uh, somewhere in the 10 to 14 point range. So a lot different than Georgia, definitely more uh, appealing matchup, especially if it was in Atlanta, that's really a, a best realistic case scenario for us. Yeah, I think we're at consensus on this one. Um, to your earlier question of would it be tougher than the Notre Dame game, I really think it would be very similar type of matchup. And I think the Notre Dame game was around, I want to say, a 13 or 14 point spread last year. Yeah. So I see some, I'd see something similar for this game. Got it. Cool. 
All right. Well, that brings us to final matchup, which may well play out in the national championship game, Alabama Clemson five coaching turnover, nothing new to the crimson tide. And in fact, when we look across not only our playoff finalists, but also the, the, the breadth of our contender list today, you really see either a head coach or coordinator turnover at every school except Clemson, uh, which is sort of a remarkable, a remarkable take and also a, a remarkable observation, as well as just speaks to continuity at Clemson and really what Dabo has built and what the coaching staff has just stayed committed. And uh, we've definitely thrown high-value contracts at a lot of our coaches, but I think that's also what's led to Clemson's success to date. Um, so what I would say is, you know, that that favors Clemson, I think, in this Alabama matchup too. I think what we saw this past year was maybe some dissonance going on within the coaching staff of Alabama. I don't want to uh, – Nick Saban himself said as much in some of his comments recently at SEC Media Days. That's not a valid excuse for the whooping that Clemson put on them. I think, though, it is, it's a reality. And, I, yes, they may have addressed that with some of their hires um, and the – some of those things, some of the departures maybe in the past, but um, in my mind, it's starting to expose a little bit that Saban can't always turn over 90% of his coaching staff and expect to see the same steady results and championship results on the field. Uh, so we'll see if he's more willing to kind of lock in and make an environment to keep, not just be a reclamation place for coaches, but actually be, be a place where a coordinator like Steve Sarkeesian can resurrect his career and actually have some stability and stick around. Um, I know I started this preview off on a weird note with coaching, but uh, I think it matters. I don't know if you guys have, have takes there. Yeah. So uh, obviously Saban's comments about how the player, both the players and their coaches were kind of not thinking about the team, thinking about what's next for them. Um, I think that was probably true. Uh, and it does sound like sour grapes. And I think it was very foolish for him to give that kind of bulletin board material to Clemson. But it probably was true. And with um, the coaching turnover and getting some new coaches and his renewed focus on that issue and not letting it happen again, I think that um, I think that helps Alabama. They know that this is a potential thing that can happen, and they're, they're focused on not letting it happen. Um, I think after 2015, uh, there was a lot of talk in Clemson about you know, some of our safeties and whatnot, thinking about the next step and not being super focused on um, – on, on winning the championship, finishing the job. And uh, you heard Ben Bulware, and I think it was also Christian Wilkins saying the next year, they made a big point to tell players, we'll, we'll like beat you up if you do that. Like they were not messed around. They addressed the problem. So I'm imagining that's happening in Alabama. And then you hear all the talk about revenge tour and it's corny and ESPN seems biased, but I do think there's a revenge factor. It's really, really hard to win back to back. Even Bama's has only done it once. Um, so I think the coaching change in a way can help them in the fact that you would think now that they know about the issue they had, they wouldn't let it happen again. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, with, with the revenge tour, I think that tends to, that worked for Clemson, but I think it worked for Clemson because of the leadership that you had in the team. You had Ben Bulware, you had Christian Wilkins, um, guys like that pointing to like, this is our opportunity this year. We need to go and reclaim what's ours or claim what's ours. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see on the Alabama side, which leaders are actually there to, to push for that. Um, and I do want to get into some of the personnel groups and talent they bring back and how that matches up with Clemson this year. Uh, but there are some key pieces that turned over that you might've expected to play that role this year. And 
that's a little bit of some of the turmoil that I'm starting to see at Alabama where they've started to have guys be unexpected early departures for the NFL or, you know, really elite blue chip five-star guys commit to Alabama and then transfer before their first year. You're starting to see some of that happen for the first time. This might be, I don't know, hot takes for me, but um, it's really, I'm just, it's an observation I've had that they're starting, we're starting to see some of that happen. Um, but yeah, I, I have no doubt that they're fully committed and focused on a revenge tour against Clemson, um, which, you know, should potentially neutralize some of the edge that we, that, that we had in our own way with revenge coming into this last year, um, or any, any hope we have to put up a back-to-back. So, uh, will be really interesting. This game will be in new Orleans. Maybe Clemson has a little bit of a revenge factor after two years ago, but, um, we'll call that a wash, uh, I guess to pick sort of a side of the a side of this matchup, Tom, I'll maybe point to you. Like, what what is the most interesting matchup in this rematch, um, just from like a a group on group situation? Well, I mean, there's a lot of directions you could go with that. Um, I still think I'd like to see. I mean, because Alabama's got a lot of their star receivers returning, and um, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, um, obviously Tua still there. Um, I, I said before, even with uh, Darian Kendrick switching from wide receiver to corner, I, I think that Clemson's secondary, um, and even also sustaining uh, the transfer of Kyler McMichael to UNC, which was pretty recent, I think Clemson's secondary is one of the better ones they've had in recent years. So I'd be excited to see how they'd hold up against um, that Alabama passing attack with Tua with another year of experience under his belt and those receivers as well. Um, I think that would – give me plenty of reason to want to throw up watching the game, but I, but uh, yeah, I also think it'd be, it'd be a really intriguing matchup. It's definitely one of the top two, I think just intriguing matchups. And you can even throw into that what Brent Venables, it's basically Brent Venables against Tua more or less. And our secondary talent versus their receivers, like um, it, you know, they had a few haymakers of their own last year that, that landed and kept it a close game through the first half. Uh, and I would expect that to happen again. I think what what you what will what will remain to be seen from this Clemson team, just regarding pa- a passing attack or a pass defense, is the type of pressure we can generate with the front four, or if Brent Venables needs to dial up exotic blitzes uh, to to force to his hand, uh, or if he's going to be able to sit back there and pick us apart. Um, you know, again, our, the hope would be, and I think we're expecting a lot of coverage sacks this year where the secondary is so good that the whatever pass rush we do have with um, a new defensive look up front, you know, we'll sh- be sure to get home. Uh, but I think by that time of the year, there will be continuity on this line. They, they will have their stuff figured out. I've got no doubt about that. So I think, yeah, just the Bama passing game against the Clemson defense, definitely going to be a top matchup. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, we've been sort of giving other teams the benefit of the doubt saying, well, if they've made the playoff, then they solved whatever issue we're worried about. And to some extent, I think you have to apply that to Clemson. And say, hey, if Clemson's in a national championship game against Alabama, I guess the defensive line was at least decent. Um, so, so you kind of kind of put that lens on it as well. Yeah, completely fair. Um, one aspect of the Clemson defense, I've touched on it before in this show, uh, that Clemson bent but didn't break on was the running attack and I actually feel like this is something that I I would call one of one of the advantages for Clemson is that Alabama lost Josh Jacobs um, and 
Damian Harris, as well as some key pieces up front on their offensive line this year. So I would actually expect their running game to take somewhat of a be neutral or take a step back in this matchup next year. Um, yes, they reload. Yes, they've got they've got Najee Harris coming back, but um, I think it'll be a, a slightly worse off running game, uh, which is good because I think we do have questions about Clemson's ability to stop the run. Um, so it's good that Alabama is not necessarily bringing the um, the wood in that aspect of their offense. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. I, I think the running backs will be fine. Yes, Josh Jacobs went number 24 to the Raiders. Damian Harris went in the third round to the Patriots, so they're gone. Najee Harris returns, and you know how well they recruit. So they have Brian Robinson, who's a former four-star, hasn't played much. But when he was recruited, he was a top 10 running back recruit. He was the number two prospect in Alabama. Um, he has all sorts of records there uh, in Alabama high school football. So it's not like the cupboards by any means bear at running back for Alabama. Um, but yeah, so I think the offensive line is really the, the bigger concern. They lose the, basically the middle of the offensive line return, both tackles. Um, so I think, you know, they leaned pretty heavy on the pass last year. They were um, only the number seven rushing offense in the sec by just simple yards per game rushing uh, last year. And I don't know that, they'll lean any heavier on the past. It seems like given who's returning, um, they would, uh, they would lean heavier on the, uh, on the passing game. Yeah. And I think what, um, one just quick comment on the Alabama O-line, which can affect the passing game and pass rush Jonah Williams, um, did depart this year. Of course they're replacing him with a really strong talent there, but, um, it was, it was such that up until the red zone, I mean, I don't, you guys know offhand how many sacks Clemson had in the, in the title game. It struck me that those tended to happen within, within the red zone. Uh, I can remember one, which is a fake field goal. <laughs> I'm not sure if that technically counts as a sack, but. I also remember the, uh, the fourth down play when the game was already out of reach, um, the goal line stand, but. Right. And uh, the sack fumble, um, Trayvon Mullen. I mean, Alabama recovered, but that was also. I don't recall there being like those are plays that really stand out, but I felt like given how Clemson's how touted Clemson's defensive line was, and for good reason, that Alabama's O line held up reasonably okay in that game. Yeah, I mean, I think you you give Clee the advantage over Jonah Williams in that game, but maybe not. It wasn't just they weren't a turnstile. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So hey, so to your point. Yes, they do lose Jonah Williams, but they're moving another starter, Alex Leatherwood, from right guard to left tackle, which obviously, yeah, Jonah Williams is tough to replace. But at the same time, that leaves the entire middle of the offensive line kind of being new guys. So I think yeah. I think that's going to be an interesting. And also, you look at their 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 passing game; they have three starting wide receivers returning and two are returning. Yeah. Do they lean on that more heavily just because it's such a strength, even though they were already leaning on it pretty heavily before? You know. Mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense um which it's nice though that that's the strength of clemson's defense so um at least from our standpoint it, it ought to be it ought to be a good matchup um maybe taking the same matchup but reverse side of the ball clearly alabama's secondary was the weak link uh in this last year's championship game and uh the coaching staff certainly p- pressed on that um with positive results ryan Give me one reason why we won't see the same thing repeat. 
Yeah, well, they brought back a lot of those guys. And, you know, this is in the NFL. In college, you expect guys to continue to progress, especially these four- and five-star guys that Alabama has. Um, so Patrick Sertain, who was a freshman playing last year as a sophomore, Trayvon Diggs uh, is now a senior. Those are cornerbacks. Xavier McKinney, who you may recall from recruiting, was a guy that Clemson really wanted. He's now a junior. So those are some real uh, – two of them were, were pretty young guys, freshman and sophomore, who are, who are still there now, a sophomore and junior. Um, and then they have Jared Maiden, who's a senior at their other safety spot. So they've got a lot more experience in the, in the secondary. I, I think I think it would be very reasonable to assume that their, their secondary improves. Yeah, Josh Job coming back as well, who actually, um, before getting torched by Ross once or twice, um, filled in pretty well last year. Um, I think their secondary should be improved, uh, to your point. Uh, I also think that, as scary as it is for other teams, uh, Clemson's passing game uh, could also be improved. So yeah. I think that's that's another – I think both passing attacks against um, the opposing defenses, those might be the two most interesting matchups um, for different reasons. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, we, we actually haven't touched on Clemson as much as perhaps I thought we might um, thus far in the show. I think a, a wrinkle for this team in the playoff, and you guys correct me if I'm off base here, but I believe Braden Galloway will actually be eligible to join the team. Uh, it was a one-year suspension from the time that it went into effect, so he missed this past year's playoff, so he should be eligible for this year. Um, let so me know. A cal- you- is that a calendar year? Yeah, I, I believe that that is the case, yeah. So yes, you want to talk about the OJ Howard effect, the wrinkle of, a, of an otherwise potent offense. Um, that would be really nice to see for this matchup just to, you know, further torment uh, the defensive coaches and Nick Saban. But um, that aside, I think a key to this game and someone that actually doesn't get enough credit for his contributions in last year's game was Travis Etienne. And I, you know, I, I haven't done a robust scouting report on Alabama's run defense. Um, they, they obviously tend to be really strong, but I thought Etienne played a remarkable game against them this last year, um, scored, three touchdowns, um, two rushing, one receiving, uh, I guess a shovel pass, uh, which was just a great troll job by the coaches. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think ETN again is a, is a huge X factor in this game. And again, favors Clemson. Yeah. Uh, just you know, match up to match up running game. We spend all our time talking about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross and T Higgins in the passing game. We forget Travis ETN, uh, won ACC player of the year last year. Um, and, um, you know, what you were saying from the championship game last year, that was easily the best performance. I mean, and again, a lot of the credit goes to a great offensive line performance, but that was the best running back performance that Clemson had against Alabama in any of their matchups in the past number of years. Um, that was always part of the game that Alabama shut down against Clemson. And last year, Clemson actually made it a factor. Yeah, again, going back to Ryan's comment earlier, it's crazy what a Trevor Lawrence will do for your running yeah, game. Exactly. Um, so, can you guys make the case for me, I guess, where like how the game plays out where Alabama can can actually vanquish Clemson and get their revenge? Like what's the how's the game gotta play out for that to take place? Well, I think uh, you know, Alabama returns six on offense, right? But so nine of their starters are gonna be juniors, one's a senior. They have one redshirt freshman, but so they're a very experienced offense. And Clemson's defense, I think we expect to take a step back. So uh, even if Clemson's offense gets better, I think you know, a shootout is very, very possible. Um, 
and in that scenario, you know, that's where it can go either way. Um, if Alabama controls the ball with, with, you know, we talked about them not being as, as good at running the ball, but they're going to have great running backs as well. So I think that they have a shot to be pretty close to impossible to stop offensively. Um, and I think that's how they win the game. I don't think it's shutting down Clemson. I think it's getting into a shootout. Yeah. I think that something that we've just essentially alluded to throughout is how ineffective they were in the red zone. I think if they can turn those trips into seven points instead of three or zero, as they did this last year, that, that, that changes the complexion of this last matchup. Um, I think also it's, that their their blueprint for a win has to include turning over Trevor Lawrence or disruption. Um, really looking back, rewatching this game so many times, it was a very slow start for Clemson and Clemson was disrupted on first and second down throughout the game. They just were otherworldly on third down. So changing their favor on third down. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't expect Clemson to be as futile on first and second this, this next time. Uh, but seeing some of the, those advantages go their way uh, could be a lot closer a game. Uh, but I think they, it is going to have to come from disrupting Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I think disrupting him, though, just enough because I think, uh, to Ryan's point, um, offensively, um, they're going to get their points this year, I think, more so than last year. Um, so I think it's going to be a shootout game, most likely, and Alabama's going to win by outscoring Clemson. I know that sounds obvious, but... You know <laughs> <what> I <mean>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I... I guess I'll, I'll add one more thing. It's, it's really gotta be Tua. It's really gotta be Tua that does it. And, um, that's maybe where like, does he, is he able to, to mature or is he able to, maybe mature is not the right approach, but, um, will he learn essentially from, from what he went through in that game and even against Georgia, um, with, with pressure and with different looks from, uh, baiting him into specific throws, I think it'll be really interesting to see how many of the defenses he'll face. Like did, did Clemson, did, did Kirby smart lay out a blueprint for opposing DCs to find something into his game? Like what does he do do with his reads um, this year? I think we'll know a lot more by the time playoff time rolls around of what we've got with Tua. Uh, but I think that's their, it's got it. It's they can't, can't have him be suspect there and expect to come out with a win. Yeah, and you know, don't forget last year he was banged up with the ankle. He went all season without really being challenged um, until the Georgia game, in which he exited and really wasn't playing at the very end. So you know, this year they go to Texas A&M. That's a tough environment. Will that be a close game that um, kind of gives them that the, the close game uh, type atmosphere and, and pressure, um, generating pressure from the defense as well as just game pressure? Same with uh, LSU. They go to Auburn this year, so maybe they have some chances to more. Uh, get him ready, not to mention a whole nother year of experience for both him and his uh, wide receivers. Yeah, and we haven't really mentioned the name Steve Sarkeesian yet and what effect he'll have on this offense. Um, Clemson fans will remember him from the national championship game that we won in 2016, where third down, very futile play calling. And he basically had two weeks to take over that offense or even less when Lane Kiffin was let go after the, I guess it was the Washington game. Um, yeah, that's right. Yep. So, or, you know, it was, he wasn't essentially like a, he was basically an interim. He was already the head coach at FAU at that point. And Nick, Nick said, thank you for your service. But um, yeah, like Sarkeesian, I mean, you guys, I guess you guys live in Atlanta. I'm not sure if you're Falcons fans or followed the team, but he spent the last two years in Atlanta um, coaching up that, that offense. And um, 
he has not actually shown in, in that stint uh, that his offenses were that all that, all that successful inside the red zone either. And um, it's completely, it's a completely different sport NFL to college, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's going to be a jackpot hire either. Yeah. Um, I tend to agree. Um, I mean, he took over, I've only lived in Atlanta for the past uh, five months, but I mean, I knew what was going on there. I, the year um, the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, and you know that whole thing went down with that comeback that they gave up. Um, that was the year Kyle Shanahan was their offensive coordinator, and they had just a dynamic offense. Um, I'm reading here they averaged 33.8 points a game. Sarkeesian comes in the next year, they dropped down to 22.1 points a game. So again, NFL, college, very different. Um, but he didn't show, I guess, a ton of promise I guess in that stint with the Falcons and again he had like what the one or the one and a half weeks to prepare for the Clemson game um the 2016 championship game and I felt like he called a very pedestrian game and really didn't didn't uh pull the tricks out from his sleeve until that last drive so that that may be true but boy that last drive was was something wasn't it those the long uh almost conversion picking up the fourth down and then the touchdown there at the end i mean i wasn't feeling great at the time um <laughs> so no, he was aided by the most absurd jalen hurts like lob across his body across the middle of the field that somehow like on third and long got complete and then it was a fourth and one and you're going to run up the middle. It's like, there's no way they won't get this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. But I also will say, you know, as much as uh, we talked about Jalen Hurts' flaws, we're talking about offensive coordinator who comes in after the season, has two weeks to prepare for a phenomenal Clemson defense with Jalen Hurts as his quarterback. And he scored, they scored 31 points. I know some of them were silly busts, but they were still able to take advantage. Um, and I certainly think it'll be better than Mike Loxley, who I think is a great recruiter and might work out. Um, to bring some talent to Maryland, but I thought he did a not not a very good job um, calling the plays uh, in last year's championship game. So not saying he's great, not necessarily disagreeing, but I think he'll be an improvement um, over what they had at OC last year. Well, I mean, their offense was incredible last year. So I don't know. How, I think they'll improve mostly because of their personnel that they have coming back. Um, I don't know how much of a function it's going to be from Sarkeesian. Of, you know, obviously – was framing as a caveat that he only had like one and a half weeks for Clemson. So like take that with a grain of salt, but seeing again, NFL difference for, I know that we gave the disclaimer there, but took a, what should have been a great Falcons offense. They took a dip. Um, I think that with some time to work with Alabama, they could, you know, he could have some success there and he, obviously the talent is there, but I'm not sure how it, it really is. The jury's out on how effective he can be as a coordinator. Yeah, and I think one thing about that hire um, that may have been part of why they wanted to make it, he's been there, he's worked with the Saban, maybe he's a uh, semi-long-term option, something that they seem like they would really like at this point. Uh, and maybe that was part of it. Maybe they don't think he's you know, the very best offensive coordinator they can get, but maybe he's the best offensive coordinator they can get for the next four years, which might be the best move for them. Yeah, has some stability on the coaching staff for sure. Right. Um, I think just, uh, again, kind of the between the ears or off the field effects of um, going into this matchup. I do think the, in terms of them competing against Clemson and being ready for this game, I think the whooping they got last year was like one of the best things that they could have coming into this year uh, for themselves. 
but I welcome that bulletin board material to kind of level the playing field on that front also. Um, but yeah, I, f I feel like just maybe we can move on to the spreads and the picks here. I think that Alabama with the revenge factor and just the hype, hype machine, it always ramps up for them. I actually feel like I would expect them to be favorites in this game, even though Clemson's getting a lot of the early season love as, as the favorite um, nationally. I think that, I mean, who knows? Clemson could be just obliterating every opponent on its schedule, um, including in the first round, if this is meant to be the championship game. But uh, I would expect probably about a two to three point Alabama uh, favorite in this game. Yeah, I would agree. I would say probably, I think Alabama, it's like no matter what, Vegas always favors Alabama. It always ends up leaning that way. Um, so I'd expect to see the same thing here. Um, they still kind of have the Alabama aura, I think. And obviously that won't go away if they're in this game. Um, so I would expect Alabama to be favored again, but maybe the smallest spread yet. I think in a lot of years, it's been anywhere from like five to seven or eight. And I think this year might be closer to three, like you said. Yeah, I agree as well. But let me kind of throw this back at you, at you guys. Yeah, I th let's let's say they are favored by three in a scenario where both teams are 13 to no. I would say they would deserve to be uh, favored um, just based on the records. I mean, Clemson would have wins over uh, Syracuse, but also Texas A&M at home, South Carolina on the road. Alabama would also have wins over Texas A&M, but on the road, also at South Carolina. And then on top of that, they would have beaten LSU, Auburn, and if we're talking about them being undefeated, probably Georgia too. That's a much stronger resume. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that if that's the scenario, they would probably be favored, but would they deserve it? Maybe so. Yeah, you, guys I, you guys expecting them to go undefeated? Or do you feel like they, they'll have a trip up? I'll let you go, Tom. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you want to take that one? Um, I'm going gonna, gonna to say yes, they will go undefeated before meeting, potentially meeting Clemson in a championship game. I think that's probably slightly – I know the over-under is 11, which would say that they're going to have one loss that's for the regular season. But um, I think it's a little bit more likely they're undefeated. I mean, we're picking them to be Georgia in our discussion. Um, we don't think that A&M's quite there, although that's that's a big risk. But I think it's about 50-50. Um, but I think I would – I think we'd guess that they're, they're undefeated. I, th I would guess that Clemson's undefeated with more confidence simply because of the schedule, though. Right, right, right. All right. Well, uh, I guess we should probably pick our national champion from this mix if we're doing a, a contender show. And um, I don't know where, where do you guys sit? Where are you guys landing on this? Are you feeling the back-to-back -back for Clemson this year based on these contenders they'll have to face off against? Let, let me go first here so we can end on a more positive note. Um, I, I think the, the revenge factor is huge. I think uh, that motivates them. We saw, um, was it Tony Brown, Tom, the Green Bay Packer now, who was at Alabama, who just went crazy? Yeah, that... very, dis very displeased that he's a Green Bay Packer. Yeah, it's upsetting for you because you're a Packers fan. But <laughs> he was just, like, livid going crazy after they beat us in the Sugar Bowl. And you could just almost – I thought in a disrespectful way, he was almost crazed over it, how angry he was at Hunter, John, uh, Hunter Renfro having a, a big game at, at him the year before. It was very clear. It was a huge motivating factor. Um, I don't think that Alabama will have the same pitfall with their coaching staff kind of looking 
at other things that aren't Alabama football. I think that the revenge factor will motivate them. Um, they have a ton of experience on offense. I think you trust their defense and the talent there. I think their secondary gets better. Um, and if we're talking about picking this game, it means Alabama got there, which means they went through a tougher gauntlet than Clemson went through, which is fine. I mean, I don't care about a gauntlet. I care about winning championships. Um, but I think in this scenario we're talking about, I think Alabama's the pick. I'll let you guys disagree, but uh, I think that's the, the logical pick here. I think it's a completely valid pick for me, this game, you know, here um, in August before the season has even started. Um, for me, this game feels like a, a toss up, feels like a pick em. Um So I could easily see Alabama having obviously like the tangibles, the, the talent and whatnot, but intangibly um, the motivation for them to beat Clemson will probably never be higher coming off just an embarrassing loss um, in January. So could definitely see that, but since I did call it a toss-up and I want to be a little more positive uh, since this is a Clemson podcast, 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 um, we will pick, I will pick uh, Clemson uh, in a much closer game than, than last, last season. Yeah, I just don't think they got, they got enough. They, I don't think they got better in enough ways to, to sway this in their favor against a 28 point loss and no, I don't, you know, that likely was, should have been a closer score than what it ended up as, but I still think it's a good two to three score game. And I don't know that they've completely closed that gap. And yes, Clemson will take a bit of a step back on defense on paper, at least. Yes, perhaps their secondary is stronger, but are they truly going to be capable of shutting down the Clemson passing attack? And I think Clemson gives you at least a good enough chance to, if they, if they are somewhat effective at that, um, still have a very capable running attack. So um, I still, I'm still very much pro Clemson in this matchup against this Alabama team. Um, they likely do represent the toughest contest for Clemson, um, depending what you see out of Georgia's defense. Um, I, again, I think Alabama also taking a step back in the running game is something that Brent Venables can then key on to a, a lot more with, with the, um, with the defensive game plan. So I'm very much uh, Ryan. Everything you said is valid, but I think a lot of that in my mind feels like a, almost like an off the field sort of the, 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 the setup for the game. But I think when we, when we do get into matchups and, and talent distribution, um, I still am feeling Clemson in this one. Yeah. Completely. I mean, that's certainly, that's certainly fair. Sorry, go ahead. I just coming from a completely biased standpoint, of course. <laughs> Well, so yeah, that's obviously fair. And I do think that even with their seemingly improved secondary, they're going to have a really hard time stopping what's probably also an improved Clemson passing attack. Um, Gary, but you're right. Right. I, I just, so I, I would say that if I'm saying which team is most likely to win a championship from, from day one, I think with, with the consideration of their path to get there. Yeah. I'm picking Clemson. They've got a few hurdles, but in the ACC, I think they've got a better shot to go undefeated. I think the Vegas over-under on wins uh, shows that. But picking this game, also the factor that it's in uh, New Orleans, much closer to Tuscaloosa. Um, they had a, a bit of a home field advantage in that Sugar Bowl. Uh, they're going to have the revenge factor, more motivation to pay and go to that game. Um, I think if the game comes up and there are two undefeated teams, you know, based on what we know now, obviously this is all going to change. And, uh, you know, I may change my pick when we get there. But, but right now I think, I think Alabama would be my pick sadly yeah and it, like you you make a good case and yes they will they will be perhaps a more proven team um 
maybe it is that Clemson's a bit unproven and doesn't feel challenged. And it is said that, that last year too, though, not to cut you off, but you could have said the same oh, yeah, thing. Like, you know? If iron sharpens iron, did Clemson face iron last year until Notre Dame, but they certainly, certainly felt sharp enough, I guess. Um, well, anyway, yeah. it's funny, but it, it, we went from, we went, got progressively more positive for Clemson as we went through our picks. Was that by design? Who's to say? That's right. <laughs> well, how are you? I mean, looking across the landscape, we have a decent number of contenders, but does it feel like to you guys it's almost an inevitability? And is there almost a, I mean, are, are you as, as college football fans, maybe perhaps taking off your orange tinted glasses for a minute, do you feel like this pretends to be an entertaining season at the top of college football? You know, I'm going to make an NBA analogy. I, I know you guys are bigger NBA fans, so you can correct me when I bungle this. But, you know, people, <laughs> people said the Golden State Warriors were inevitable. And people said Alabama was inevitable. And they both got to the championship game and they both lost. So I think we don't know what we don't know. Um, and I think, you know, in the end when you're surprised, like, that's part of the fun of it. So I'm not overly worried about, um, you know, it being a, a drag to get to the championship game. I, th- I think, by and large, having two superpowers has been pretty good for college football yeah i think it's fun um to have one or two super teams i think i think that it sounds kind of bad when you say it at first because everyone's like oh we want more parity but i think the fun in having one or two teams that are a cut above the rest is that everybody's always chasing them and that always makes for drama like every week those teams play you know what i mean um and frankly it, it's funny um you talked about removing the orange to the glass, glasses for clemson for me, that actually makes me feel like it's more inevitable if I try to be less biased and feel, feel like it's more inevitable that Clemson will be there because as a Clemson fan, I'm a, I'm a natural worrier and I look at every game and I think, what was it? What were the games last year that I was worried? I was like, oh, Boston College, you know, it could be Clemson. I'm like, no, they were never going to lose that game, you know? So I think yeah. I actually tend, tend to, yeah, I tend to be more of a, a pessimist as a Clemson fan. But if I try to remove myself from that, I definitely see kind of the whole inevitability factor that people have been talking about. Yeah. I think if I had just a, a hope for this season, it's actually that all the teams that we talked about live up to their potential. And then we're left with a committee that has to pick between some really good options to leave teams out for that fourth or even third spot. Um, if we do think the kind of top two are penciled in as last year's championship teams, uh, that that's my hope is that, yeah, you do see maybe a three headed monster in the Pac-12 and, um, you know, a rematch of the Red River Red River shootout happened in the Big 12 championship. And, you know, the game between Ohio State and Michigan, if that's an undefeated matchup like it was 13 years ago, like, you know, you hope for those scenarios of let's call it the upper middle class of contenders in these conferences playing out. We know that's probably not going to be the case. And we probably will have two teams that we did not talk about tonight being right in the thick of the race. But um, all those teams are going to have one loss. And, you know, it might be a little bit lackluster. I think what's redeemed a lot of the last few years is that that Clemson Alabama matchup has been really exciting or entertaining in one way or another uh, with the exception of that sugar bowl, but the Georgia Alabama championship certainly went to overtime. I mean, that was an amazing game. So I think like the, the, the playoff format and the, the championship game is definitely delivered on excitement and seeing the two best teams in the country match up and deliver a really entertaining game really this last year was the the first game 
I don't know. I guess Ohio State, Oregon was a little bit of a, a laugher, but the blowout this year was just so entertaining and captivating for people because it was watching Alabama implode and you had the fake field goal and you had so many explosive plays from Clemson that, you know, people did not stop watching that game. Yeah, exactly. I, I think one thing that's really great about college football and really makes it in, in a lot of ways better than all the other sports is that, you know, unlike let's say baseball where you're thinking, Hey, you know, we're winning a lot of games now, but we can't get by the, by the Astros or by the Dodgers. So what's the point for most teams, not Clemson or Alabama anymore, but for most teams, the only goal isn't to win the national championship. You know, a lot of teams, if Virginia wins the ACC Coastal, they're thrilled. So all understanding the teams have different goals makes them really fun to watch. You know, uh, there's a lot of games that may not have national championship implications because they're not Clemson, uh, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Alabama level. But for their goals, they're big games. They they still have all the pomp and pageantry, and they're great to watch anyway. Yeah, and my, my hope, you know, for for Clemson fans and for all football fans is like enjoy those games for what they are. Yes, they don't have implications, but it's damn fun football to watch, and we only get so many weeks a year to do that. And um, it doesn't always have to be about the ultimate championship payoff to to be an entertaining sport. And there's so many personalities. And there's so much so like off the field too, the rivalries and all the the ceremony of college football. It's just so great. Can't wait for it to start again. We're getting close with a uh, Miami, Florida week early. Yeah. Then uh, at this point, just not even three weeks or oh, yeah, three weeks away from. Uh, Thursday night opener for Clemson. Yeah, exactly. We're recording this Thursday night, so it is three weeks to the day. And I guess you're going to get that week. If we if we want to call that week one, you know, the, the quote-unquote official kickoff to that long Labor Day weekend that is just majestic with all the games, yeah. there's that week zero matchup. So it's Florida-Miami. Is that right, Ryan? That's right, in Orlando. I see. Camping World Stadium yep. or whatever. Um the Pac-12 usually does like a Sydney Australia game too. I wonder if they're doing that this year. But I don't. I don't. It was Stanford Rice a few years ago, and I'll tell you, this is a heck of a lot more interesting than that. And it won't be in <laughs> some weird time zone either. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool, well, uh, fellas. Thanks so much. That is our contender preview. Really fun to go through those teams. I feel like um, I, I personally have a much better sense for what to expect and. Again, this is a crazy sport. I'm sure there'll be a lot of chaos happening, and some of those teams won't even be relevant by the end of the year. But um, I, I feel like we had a pretty good shake on who is likely to make it into the playoff. Um, you could definitely see Michigan swapping out for anybody, any of the others that we talked about. But uh, good times. Thanks so much. Um, real quick, I want you guys to plug some of your work. Where can our listeners find you, find some of your writing? Yeah, so we're, we're both on Shaking the Southland. I'll, I'll, I'll plug one article um, that I've got here. Is I just went through the whole schedule uh, of not Clemson, but the entire college football season just to kind of, A, get us excited for the year, but also uh, I favored it and I returned to it throughout the year to see what's coming up. Um, I'll tell you, week seven is loaded. You have Florida State at Clemson. That's this, unfortunately, really, it's the same weekend as Alabama at Texas A&M, same as USC at Notre Dame. That's the uh, Red River uh, rivalry. And you also have Virginia at Miami, which could decide the, uh, the coastal. I mean, huge weekend. And Florida LSU, just incredible weekend of college football. Yeah, well, yeah. Florida State will probably be a, not, a noon game and <laughs> based on where they are. No, 
hopefully not. Hopefully that's a night game and they're, they figured some stuff out and that that'll be exciting. Yeah. And for me, um, yeah, like Ryan said, also on shaking the South Wayne, I don't have anything too exciting up that I wrote recently. Um, I did facilitate a Q and a with a writer from Louisville's SB nation site. Of course, that's not one of the more compelling games on Clemson's schedule, but it did turn out to be a pretty insightful uh, Q and a session. Um, but then coming up, obviously with the season right around the corner, we've got a lot of season preview content coming. Um, I'll be participating in a roundtable article with Brian and several of our writers um, just around expectations going into the season. Um, so look for that and a bunch of other content on the site as well. You guys want to plug your Twitter as well? Yeah, I'm r- at Ryan underscore Cantor and Cantor's with a K, K-N-T-O-R. Give me a follow. I'd appreciate it. Yep. And I'm at Tom underscore Dianora. That's D-I-A-N-O-R-A. Great. Well, uh, thank you both for coming back, coming back on the show. Uh, Tom, your first time. Great work. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks and, for having uh, me. Thanks to all of our listeners for making it this far. Long show, but uh, hopefully you feel a little bit more uh, ready to, to take a look at Clemson's would-be uh, opponents for the playoff coming up after this show. And um, once again, you can expect ongoing season preview content from the podcast. Uh, we should be getting together a couple more times leading into the season for some predictions, some offense, defense, special teams, previews, hopefully some more interviews as well. Uh, So really looking forward to kicking into the season and getting our content revved up. Appreciate everyone for making it through this show. And uh, as well as please tell a friend, Um, this is the time of year when interest is the highest for Clemson football. So um, really appreciate everyone listening and spreading the word about the podcast. Um, If you have not yet done so implore you to please leave a review on iTunes is probably the best place to do that. Um, so people can find out about us. Appreciate that. And uh, you know where to find us on social media as well. So uh, with that, we will wrap here. Thanks again. And as always, go Tigers.